Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. A very busy week. Uh, astonishing corruption revelations about Joe Biden. We have new lawsuits over FBI hidden text messages. And on top of that, we've got new emails from Dr. Fauci that have never been seen before about China that you're going to want to learn about as well. Uh, but first up, obviously, is the big news about the metastasizing, the burgeoning Biden family corruption scandal. And uh, I talked about this uh, a little bit last week. Uh, we have several kind of ongoing concurrent scandals now. We have the underlying scandal of what the Biden family was up to in terms of, and the emails and text messages suggest that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's other family members, brothers and such, were doing international business and potentially it looks like saving uh, and holding back and for payment to Joe Biden uh, the monies they were getting. Uh, and uh, there's been dramatic evidence about uh, emails related to a China deal, which I'll talk to you about in a little bit. So the other aspect of the scandal is that the FBI and Justice Department have had this information through at least since at least December of last year and have uh, evidently done nothing with it and in fact probably have hidden it. And then the third corruption scandal associated with it is the media and big tech suppression of the story. Despite new revelations, despite further confirmation of the authenticity of the material, you still have the big media and big tech suppressing information about it uh, uh, in an effort to help Joe Biden and oust Donald Trump. And I'm not saying that uh, you should vote for or against any candidate. I'm just saying that you shouldn't have information about candidates withheld from you by improper and fraudulent intervention by either big tech companies or the media. And so what Judicial Watch is aiming to do is to provide you information that you, you may not be able to find elsewhere. Although thankfully, um, given our new media age and the new internet, uh, and I know the internet's not new, but the fact that uh, we can now access information uh, outside the traditional gatekeepers, you probably know about what, a lot about what I'm talking about. Now, remember, these documents are not FOIA documents. These documents are material that was um, in, in, in a few places. Uh, there's emails that have been released separately uh, from one of Joe Biden, uh, Hunter Biden's business partners. There's emails from uh, a gentleman, Mr. Uh, what was his name? Of course, I'm going to forget his name. Tony Bobolinsky who uh, is, a is a veteran and also a business partner of Hunter Biden and his colleagues, who has uh, said uh, he came forward after revelations in the last few weeks 
that essentially uh, he was part of this uh, a China deal that was uh, being pushed by it looks like uh, very very senior folks in China uh, to give millions and millions of dollars to uh, uh, Joe Biden's son uh, and. Uh, Bublinski says that the email about the big guy, the big guy email that I've told you about, where Hunter says that he would hold 10% of uh, some of that money for 10% of the money for the big guy, that was Joe Biden. And Bublinski says when Joe Biden says he didn't know anything about uh, Hunter's uh, foreign business interests, he says that's not true. He personally witnessed Hunter and Joe talking about his businesses um, and regularly consulted with him on it. In fact, he says he met with Joe Biden for, I think for an hour talking about this China deal, which at least uh, I think was happening in 2017. And this is on top of the Burisma scandal. So, you know, what I was thinking about this, that, you know, we knew and found out most directly about uh, Joe Biden getting, excuse me, Hunter Biden getting all that money from Burisma and Joe Biden's efforts uh, to coincidentally remove the prosecutor investigating Burisma. Yes, and there was an ongoing investigation into Burisma at the time. Uh, we knew about that thanks to the whistleblowing of President Trump. Now, the deep state was angry that Joe Bi that President Trump wanted accountability for what Ukraine was doing, both in terms of its uh, interfering uh, in a way to upend his candidacy and then his his uh, his presidency and also the corruption tied to the Biden and Burisma issue. And little did we know, I mean, we, kind of, we saw that they were willing to blow up the constitution once he raised questions about that, Biden's defenders in the House and the Senate, the leftists and the Democrats. But now we know that the 83,000, whatever amount of money that Biden, Joe, uh, Hunter Biden was getting per month, that was a side hustle for them, wasn't it? He got three and a half millions from the Russians, according to a Senate report. This China deal, it's not clear how much money was ever transferred. It looks like at least five million, maybe. But they were talking tens of millions of dollars, $10 million just for introductions in this China deal. And who knows how much other money has been sloshing around there. And of course, the text and emails suggest that Hunter Biden and his family members were taking money from those deals and passing it through to their father, Joe Biden. Now, this was raised uh, during the debate. Uh, Joe Biden's response was to suggest it was Russia disinformation, which was, which is obviously silly. I know the media is pretending that's the case. It's, there's no evidence of it. It's, it's just more of the same type of smearing. You raise questions about corruption in the Democratic Party. Now you're a Russian agent. That's the new rule of thumb for the left-wing media and its acolytes, uh, in, uh, or its allies, I should say, in places of power, uh, like in the House and the Senate. It's unbelievable. You have Adam Schiff lying about it again. You have other members of the Senate lying about it again. They know it's not Russia collusion. They know it's not Russia disinformation. We've had the Fox News and the Wall Street Journal confirm the China email. And frankly, the contents of the laptop indirectly as a result. Now we know uh, that the FBI has been embarrassed into questioning Mr. Bobolinsky 
after his revelations. Why didn't they talk to him six months ago, eight months ago? It's not like they didn't know what his name was. They had He had the information in the laptop. This is just like the Wiener laptop all over again. It's politically inconvenient data. And so the FBI covers it up. So, you know, in Washington, D.C., being as obsessed in D.C. as we are about the political consequences of scandal and how it might impact the election, you've got this distortion going on where the cover up and, as I pointed out, the big tech censorship, which is uh, uh, fraudulent business practices where they're pretending to be neutral when they're not. They're political and they target people based on politics, not in some neutral business principle that can be defended, frankly, in court. So the big focus is, as a result, on what are the political consequences of this? What's going to happen in the election? I don't know. You know, personally, I suspect President Trump will probably win again. I'm not saying that because you should vote for or against President Trump or vote for or against President, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Biden. I'm not advocating someone's election. Just giving you a guess as to what I think will happen. Uh, but um but in many ways, this is kind of like the Clinton email scandal again, isn't it? Doesn't it remind you of that? I just, I just, you know, that, and the consequence of the Clinton email scandal was that uh, that we uncovered uh, that Trump. Uh, the consequence of the Clinton email scandal wasn't was, uh, I think, uh, was a significant contributing factor, to put it mildly, to the president of the United States, Donald Trump, being put into the presidency. Uh, by the American people in 2016. And we'll see if there's new cor this new corruption issue uh, makes a uh, uh, results in similar outcome uh, in his reelection. I don't know. But I, I'm going to be a little bit more positive about what the outcome is here. Because people have asked, I was just in an interview with my friend Charlie Kirk for, uh, his, uh, for his podcast. And he said, What's gonna, what do you think is going to happen legally if Biden wins on this issue? You know, and it occurred to me that it may not be it's look, they are going to try to shut down any criminal investigation of Joe Biden in a Biden administration. I know that will be the case. They will try and they will I th probably succeed, but it isn't going to be as easy as you think. It isn't going to be as easy as you think. So just because Joe Biden may win the presidency, it will not shut down any criminal investigation targeting him. You know, we still do have a government that is answerable to the American people. It's run by politicians who are afraid of the voters more or less. They don't want to be turned out of office. So if uh, there is a serious criminal investigation of Joe Biden, and you know that's a big if, I don't know if it's going to be able, he's going to be able to shut it down easily. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not naive in the sense that they'll do anything significant against him. Uh, but it, it could dog him for some time. And, um, you know, past experiences, the best indicator of future results when it comes to these investigations. So Joe Biden's likely to be protected no matter who becomes the president, whether President Trump is reelected or Biden is reelected. Uh, but he's not, it's not risk free for him. So the FBI, for instance, investigating his business partner. I mean, if you listen to what Rudy Giuliani is talking about, and of course, Rudy has been right on this. I shouldn't call him Rudy. He's the mayor. I call him the mayor. Has been so right on this. You know, he's been blowing the whistle on this. And for his pains, his patriotism, 
He's been attacked viciously. He's been targeted with you know, threats of jail and being called a Russia agent, all sorts of smears, because he was blowing the whistle on this corruption for two years. And he was righter than right. President Trump was righter than right. I mean, heck, I, I, you know, I knew there was something big with Biden. I knew, but I didn't know what was so big because I saw the reaction that they were willing to blow up the Constitution with this coup attack on President Trump after he just raised some reasonable questions about what Biden was up to in Ukraine. And I thought the overreaction suggested there was something much bigger there. And uh, sure enough, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Ukraine was just one of many countries uh, that they were um, involved, uh, that was a part of, that looks like the grift for the Biden family. So uh, is the FBI going to do anything? I don't trust the FBI to do anything. Is the Justice Department going to do anything? I don't trust the Justice Department to do anything. This is why I think the president should appoint a, spe a separate special counsel, not in the Justice Department, not in the FBI. There are other law enforcement agencies in the government uh, at the federal level that can perfectly investigate this. They don't need the FBI to investigate this. You can have DHS investigated. You could have the Postal Service investigated. They've got an inspector. They got a, a criminal uh, investigative unit that can investigate this. I don't trust the Justice Department and the FBI to do it. They've kind of proven that they can't be trusted. And it doesn't mean that Tenor General Barr is corrupt doesn't even necessarily believe mean that Ray is corrupt. It just means institutionally, they are not, they can't, they will not satisfy um, me at least, and I know millions of Americans I speak for, that any investigation will be legit because of their prior corruption and the failure of those agencies to hold those responsible for that corruption accountable till now. So if I were the president, uh, I'd recommend he, I, I'd, I'd appoint a special counsel. So that's, uh, we'll see what happens with the Joe Biden scandal. Now, Judicial Watch, of course, is on it. We already have cases and lawsuits about Joe Biden and uh, Burisma. Uh, you know, for instance, we uncovered that Hunter Biden went to uh, 29 countries. We uncovered that through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. And what's interesting in these emails, because we had asked for additional documents about his travels, we didn't get them, so we sued. And the Secret Service said, look, we don't have Secret Service records after, I forget which month in, in 2014, suggesting that Biden given up his Secret Service uh, retinue and protection at that time, which raised additional questions. What was he doing when, why, why did he give it up if he did? Now these emails suggest that uh, he didn't give it up, that the Secret Service was still providing protection for him. So we may go back to the court and reopen our case I tell you, you know, what's awful about these corruption issues is that you, know, that you can't trust the agencies that interact with corrupt government officials as a result, because there's, there's this almost reflexive effort to cover up on their behalf. And I don't know if that's happening here at the Secret Service, but we're going to look into it based on the new emails that we've uncovered. And of course, we've got, uh, we immediately sent out FOIAs and are sending out Freedom of Information Act requests on the new revelations here with respect to China and um, uh, uh, and uh, Biden laptop generally and the FBI and Justice Department's mishandling. So Judicial Watch is on the case, whether or not the Justice Department and FBI do what is required under the law. 
and don't expect them to have anything done before election day. That's, they're not going to do it. They've made the decision to protect him. You know, the big question I have, you may recall, I think it was back in May of this year, Attorney General Barr said uh, that he didn't see anything that they're going to be investigating Barr, uh, excuse me, Obama or Biden for. Well, did he know about the Hunter Biden laptop at the time? If not, why not? If not, why not? So it's interesting. It's, it's going to be an interesting period of time here. And um, I, I want to separately raise the issue of election integrity. We've had some cases come up just recently. We had Chief Justice Roberts, I think, wrongly uh, intervene or refuse to change. Um, uh, basically, the Supreme Court has eight members now, right? So uh, there was a Pennsylvania court ruling that author changed the law, changed the rules that authorized ballots to be counted up to three days after the election in Pennsylvania that arrive up to three days after the election with or with that, without a postmark, potentially. So uh, the Trump campaign and the voters and others uh, sued and tried to get the Supreme Court to intervene to change that. And it split 4-4, meaning the lower court ruling was upheld. And Justice Roberts was on the side of the liberals in the court. Uh, and also in North Carolina, there was a, a, a court mandated rule change, I think. I think it's six states they'll be counting ballots after the election. So those are two big states. Now, Judicial Watch separately has lawsuits over cleaning up the election rolls in North Carolina and Pennsylvania. And we've uncovered upwards of two, nearly two million names on the rolls that shouldn't really be there, which shows, as I, as I constantly say, the recklessness of, of uh, large-scale mail-in ballots relying on such lists. Now, I don't believe in either state they, they are, um, I shouldn't say, I, I don't want to guess too much, but I'm not quite sure the rules are if they're just mailing blindly the ballots to the lists. But when you've got dirty lists, it can mean dirty elections. That's, that's the reality of it. Of course, you, you instinctively know that, don't you? I say that, the left says, what do you mean? That's outrageous. Of course, it's not outrageous. It's a truism. So in those two states, there's going to be more controversy about the election because they've provided a pathway for fraud in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, thanks to activist court rulings. In the case of North Carolina, you had the liberal-controlled appellate court in the Fourth Circuit uh, endorse this uh, radical rule change. And I don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do. Now, thankfully, Chief, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Judge Amy Coney Browett was uh, uh, just uh, yesterday confirmed by the Senate Judiciary Committee, and she should be on the Supreme Court by Tuesday of next week, October 27th. I don't know if she'll be technically on the court, but confirmed. Now, um, so we may have a vote in the just in the, a new vote in a uh, in the Supreme Court with a Justice Barrett that will support the rule of law on elections. See, the left likes to think it's all about oh, if you're uh, they believe in political politicized judicial decision making. I see it as, do you want the courts to intervene in elections to help one side, or do you kind of come up with a rule of law? 
application that says the law is what it is and you can't have judges making it up as they go along in the end to help their perceived political allies. Now the left will scream that, well, that's just Republicanism. It's not, it's just conservative judicial decision-making. I mean, Chief Justice Roberts is in many ways being political when he refuses to stop judges from messing with our elections. So my, that's a long way of saying that uh, if when Justice Barrett becomes, uh, when Judge Barrett becomes Justice Barrett, we may have even better outcomes in the Supreme Court on behalf of the rule of law and election integrity which is why the left was so crazed about opposing her. And to that end, I once again encourage you to uh, call your senators at 202-225-3121 and tell them what you think about the confirmation of Judge Barrett. You know, it, it, it wasn't inevitable and it's not inevitable. I, pra practically speaking, it is now inevitable that she's confirmed that she would, would have been confirmed in, before election day or confirmed at all. And so let your senators know what you think about this outcome. You know, if they, if they did the right thing by your lights, praise them. If they did the wrong thing, let them know what you dispute. But your senators wanna hear from you. They do wanna hear from you. I mean, I know you think they don't wanna hear from you. They hate to hear from voters. They love to hear from voters. What's, what political animal doesn't want a barometer of what their constituents are thinking through phone calls, voluntary phone calls that voters are making to them. They, they love to hear. It helps them figure out where they stand and what to do next. If they're good senators, they, don't, they aren't afraid to hear from you. Uh, but um, if, if you disagree with them or agree with them, let them know. Uh, it is a great day. It will be a great day for the constitution when uh, Judge Barrett is confirmed. It will be a great day for the Constitution. It will be a great day for the Constitution because the American people don't want politicians in robes. She is committed and she has a record demonstrating her commitment, more importantly, to applying the law as written and originally understood by the founders or the legislatures, of, if it's a later law, at least federally, or constitutional amendment, at least later, so uh, we, we can, exp and I, I don't know if she'll rule in a way that I will agree with every time, but I do know that she has a, an approach consistent with respecting our right to govern ourselves, uh, our right to have the constitution be applied in a way the founders and the writers at the various parts of it intended, and that Congress and the legislature and the executive branch uh, should not be unduly interfered with by the judicial branch. The judicial branch is there to serve as a check and balance, not to be a supremacist or uh, either there's this idea of judicial supremacy. I reject that. It's contrary to our Republican form of government and Justice uh, Judge Barrett agrees uh, with our approach on that. So good, good for Senator Graham for getting this pushed through good for all the senators that are gonna support her. Uh, you had the Democrat senators refuse to show up and participate in the final committee vote. I talk about someone who had, I mean, talk about showing contempt for the voters. So if your senator was a Democrat on this committee and they didn't show up to vote, you were deprived 
of your you know, constitutional expectation that they would represent you in the governance of the country. What an attack on our republic and an attack on the Senate that is. I mean, it's not only juvenile and petty, but it undermines the rule of law in our Republican form of government. When you have elected officials decide to take their, take their little toys and go home rather than participate in the process, completely lawless. So we'll see, uh, next week will be a good week for the constitution uh, if things go as we expect. So Judicial Watch uh, is uh, another big issue, obviously, and it's been up, it's come up in the debates repeatedly between President Trump and um, uh, the former Vice President Biden about China and coronavirus. And our friends at the Daily Caller News Foundation asked the uh, uh, NIH specifically uh, uh, for documents about WHO, China and coronavirus. And, and the documents were Dr. Fauci's emails and the emails of his top deputy. So needless to say, they got the stonewall. And the, so Judicial Watch came to the rescue uh, uh, to file a lawsuit on behalf of the Daily Caller News Foundation. And uh, the response was stonewall delay. In fact, they wanted to turn, they found documents, they did the initial search, but they didn't want to turn over any of them till after the election. And a federal court judge says, no, you got to at least begin giving us the first batch before the election, which was October 21st. So we finally got the documents uh, last night or yesterday. And, uh, and they show the following. They show that a WHO entity, let me call it up here, wanted, um, was oddly um, focused on pushing out a friendly press release for China. This is again, during the beginning of the pandemic. And the entity is the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, which is an entity convened by the World Health Organization and World Bank. And they wrote an email on January 27th, 2020. And this was before they knew the full scope of the virus and all of that. Uh, it was called a time sensitive message from uh, the GPMB, this WHO body, co-chairs, review of a drafts GPMB statement on the 2019 novel coronavirus. There was a consensus for the GPMB to issue a statement supportive of countries, especially China, they write in parentheses, and WHO response efforts, and to call for urgent action to further strengthen global preparedness in response to this outbreak. Please find attached a draft statement. On January 29th, Fauci responds, looks fine. Please see my comments and attached document. Of course, they didn't provide the draft comments, which is typical, inappropriate, but typical. And so uh, you've got this WHO entity pushing for this statement to be released about COVID with a focus on praising China. And of course, job, it was done because I went and looked online 
to see, well, okay, what statement was actually issued? And this is what the statement says. The Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, GPMB, as I said, convened on January 27, 2020, to discuss the current outbreak of the 2019 NCOV, which is the novel coronavirus, COVID, which was first detected in Wuhan, China, and is now quickly spreading internationally. The board commends the speed of the response so far by countries and the World Health Organization, the transparency of China in sharing information and the genome sequence of the virus, and the strong collaboration between China and affected countries and with WHO. So I don't need to tell you about the controversy and the way China handled this in terms of targeting those who are blowing the whistle internally on it, delaying disclosure to key entities about what was going on in China and other problems. And isn't it interesting that WHO's and you know this front for WHO because you know I, I keep on calling it the GMPB. It's really WHO. Their collective concern is most you know it's clear in the email about praising China's role here. It helps explain why they didn't want to turn over this document, doesn't it? And. Uh, I think it's real interesting. There are other emails here that you know, kind of show you the back and forth and they're interesting to read, but this is the big stuff. And I don't know what else is out there, but um, I tell you, um, it is exceedingly frustrating that uh, agencies presumably nom uh, you know, nominally run by the president of the United States continue to withhold information. And I'm convinced they withhold information because it, it can be seen to be helpful to him as opposed to hurting him. That's the way I'm, I, that's what's been happening. It's, it's been relatively consistent. Dr. Fauci, according to the government, perfect is, is the reason it's slowed down is because he has to review all these emails, which is nonsensical. As I wrote in our statement, these Fauci emails show how praising China was the odd priority of the WHO in the face of a novel and dangerous coronavirus that the NIH tried to slow roll the release of these emails and is still sitting on thousands more as a scandal. So they've only reviewed 300 pages. There are 4,200 pages that they've found and they're gonna release them monthly. So now what's three into 42? 12 is 36 or 14 months. So we won't be able to see these documents until 2022 in their entirety. I jokingly say we'll be in a, in a Chelsea Clinton administration before we see all the documents that the state is hiding from us. And as our friends over at the Daily Caller News Foundation, the now government is uh, says, Neil Patel, the government is now ever so slowly complying with the law and letting the American people know how they did business with WHO in China at the outset of this pandemic. We are grateful for to Judicial Watch for helping us force the government to do its job, which is to follow the law. Oh boy. And what I found interesting about these emails, now admittedly it's only a small portion of the documents, but they don't show, at least in this batch, that they saw this as a dramatic virus initially. You know, you can go and look at the documents and I encourage you to review themselves. There's no, there's no indication that 
this was like a high red alert issue. I mean, they were moving people to try to study it, that's clear, uh, but it's pretty clear early on, they didn't see it as the contagion that we've uh, since uh, come to learn it was or, or threatened to be. They didn't kind of know about it, probably because the Chinese weren't telling them about it. And, um, you know, it looked like they were deferential to the Chinese here uh, in the emails. Uh, you know, why praise them when you really didn't know what was going on? I mean, in my view, if you're dealing with the Chinese communist government, you should be skeptical of them and just presume they're lying about everything. I mean, you know, my view is you should be skeptical when the government tells you pretty much anything, even in a democratic or constitutional republic. Why would we believe anything in the Chinese uh, that the communist government in China would be telling us on something obviously they would have a significant political interest in minimizing. But that's the way things work and that's what Dr. Fauci uh, uh, approved according to these new emails. So we'll see what else is happening and we'll uh, talk about it uh, 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 later, I'll, I'll give you updates as we get more documents as they come in. But the, again, the president should just order the release of every document they have. Do it now, do it now. The government can release it. When they say it takes months and months and years and years, it's just excuses, that's not reasons. It's the government, they can do whatever they want. So it's frustrating. Um, Next up, speaking of hiding documents, we are talking about Ray's FBI. Now, Director Ray has not been any different as far as I can tell, probably even less transparent than Comey has been. You heard that right, less transparent. And one of the big fights we've been having with Ray's FBI is over text messages. They've taken the legal position that their uh, text messages written by FBI agents are not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. They say, well, it doesn't mean we don't save them, which frankly is even more outrageous, meaning they've got them and they still don't want to turn them over. It's not like they just disappear. And specifically, uh, we had asked for documents, I think this is uh, some time ago, for text messages between Andrew McCabe and Peter Strzok. And let me, let me be specific here. Peter, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Andrew McCabe, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, Jennifer Leonard, who was another FBI official, and Lisa Monica, who was their, one of their key contacts over in the Obama White House. We wanted text messages. And the FBI takes the position they're not subject to FOIA and they're not going to give them to us. And what's really interesting is we appealed this determination. You know, uh, Attorney General Barr has got to take responsibility for what Ray's doing here. You know, when we sue uh, for records in the FBI, guess what the name of the lawsuit is? It's not Judicial Watch versus the FBI. It's Judicial Watch versus the Department of Justice. The FBI is a sub-agency of the Department of Justice. Specifically, I think the director of the FBI reports to the deputy of, of Mr. Barr. 
And so we appealed their refusal to turn over records to the Justice Department's Office of Information Privacy. And the Justice Department kicked it down to them and said, you got to review this. They remanded it. FBI did nothing. Just complete contempt for the rule of law. And that's and what Justice Department policy generally is on text messages. We've been fighting this battle for years, more or less. And once again, we had to file a new lawsuit to get information about the text messages of the Kukabal that was illicitly targeting candidate Trump and then later President Trump. And who's protecting this Kukabal? Raise FBI. Raise FBI. The Ray FBI asserts, contrary to DOJ policy, it can delete and keep secret all text messages, including those by the corrupt cadre responsible for the illicit spying on President Trump. The court should quickly order the FBI to preserve and produce text messages as FOIA requires. And um, it's interesting, the, uh, so when we file a lawsuit, unless it's related specifically to another case, uh, it gets randomly assigned, or it's, at least it's supposed to be randomly assigned. And uh, in this case was randomly assigned to Judge Emmett Sullivan. So Judge Sullivan is the case, is our uh, judge in this new case against the FBI for hiding records. Now, remember, we uncovered how Mueller's F team, including FBI agents, were deleting, uh, had records, uh, excuse me, phones wiped. We've been uncovering the page struck email communications. We haven't gotten text messages. In fact, you know, we had been asking for uh, FBI text messages in the capes in a separate lawsuit, and the FBI kind of backed away after court ruled, oh, hold on, what are you doing here? And they did give us text messages, but they were com almost completely redacted. They were completely useless. And in giving them to us, they said, oh, they're not covered by FOIA. We're just doing this to be nice. So once again, I mean, this is why you can't trust the FBI, because they are in a cover-up mode for the Obama gang and taking this extraordinary position that their text messages aren't subject to FOIA. So imagine if you're under investigation by the FBI and they, you say FBI record, oh, these text messages, these aren't records. You can't have them. The FBI would come in and take your phone and take them anyway, right? So we're just, we have to battle every inch in every way to get access to information from Ray's FBI. And it's awful, it's just awful. And uh, we're happy to do the work, uh, but it's a, as I call it, the rule of law crisis. And this is one of the reasons we have a rule of law crisis because the FBI doesn't want to turn over records it's just supposed to under the law. And the Justice Department's letting them get away with it. And so uh, this is the same gang you think are going to investigate Biden. This is why I'm skeptical about it. So uh, I'll let you know if we get anything or maybe the FBI will start turning over records magically after this lawsuit. So um, we also have another case that I'm kind of outraged about. I am outraged about. We've been representing um, a 78-year-old veteran, a variety of issues uh, for several years now, Bob Rosebrock. And uh, Bob had been protesting the big L, uh, outside the big LA facility for the VA for years, almost, I forget the number of Sundays he's been out there uh, talking about this issue. He's been trying to, to kind of bear witness to the fact that this facility, which was placed there and 
it, its purpose is to provide services for homeless veterans isn't being used for those purposes. And because uh, he has been uh, a problem for the VA for highlighting this issue, they've been targeting him. He was arrested improperly in our view. Um, they tried to put him in jail. Really outrageous stuff. And we had to defend him in a criminal trial, federal criminal trial, because over the issue, whether he put a little flag, you know, one of these small little flags that you can hold in your hand, like a T, a T size flag. And um, whether he put that flag in a fence, uh, this giant rod on fence, they were willing to try to put him in jail in a federal criminal trial over it. Really outrageous stuff. So unfortunately, we had um, a Ninth Circuit ruling that didn't go our way and litigation we bought brought related to that. Let me bring it up for me because it was a bit of a complicated case. So it was the decision related to the granting of qualified immunity for the VA, the VA officers who arrested Bob. Uh, he's been doing, uh, as I said, he's been highlighting this issue. It's a 380 acre facility in the heart of Los Angeles. And uh, they granted qualified immunity, uh, said it applied to the VA police officers who arrested Bob. And as I said in our statement, it's a miscarriage of justice that the Ninth Circuit would allow the VA police officers who arrested Rosebrock to escape accountability for their actions. The court does not appear to have even considered the compelling arguments Judicial Watch made on Rosebrock's behalf or the trial court's reasoning in rejecting the officer's qualified immunity claim. I mean, we had a success in the lower court that said that the, what the officers did so outside any reasonable uh, uh, analysis of what they should have done that they lost their immunity. The VA clearly holds a grudge against Rosebrock. Although a setback, the, the Ninth Circuit ruling is just one small skirmish, as I said, in Rosebrock's years long struggle against the veteran homelessness and demands for VA accountability. In my view, President Trump should demand answers about who at the FVA and the DOJ are responsible for perpetuating this grudge against the true American patriot, as well as answers about the VA's failed policies on veteran homelessness and continued misuse of land at the West LA VA. Qualified immunity, as you know, is, may be appropriate for uh, circus, uh, police officers in some circumstances. But it clearly wasn't Rosebach's case. It's, it's the exception that proves the rule, frankly. And the Ninth Circuit clearly got it wrong. He was initially cited for allegedly taking unauthorized photographs. <laughs> I mean, when you see the space we're talking about, just imagine, you know, 24 feet of, I don't know, literally it's 24 feet, but it's a huge sidewalk in front of this huge open gate, big gate. It's like taking, it's like being arrested because you're taking photos outside the White House. 50, you know, way, way outside the gates of the White House. It's just unbelievable. Or the Capitol, something crazy like that. He was taking unauthorized photographs of American flags on Memorial Day 2016. That's the VA for you. Arrest a veteran for doing that. The following Sundays, VA officers 
cited and arrested Rosebrock and seized his cameras for allegedly taking the unauthorized photographs of the officers at the same park entrance. During the, 2000, during the June 12th arrest, Rosebrock was handcuffed, mistreated, and forced into the back of a police vehicle. He was acquitted of any wrongdoing in a criminal case, and they even appealed that acquittal. And the court found under law uh, that the law under which Rosebrock had been charged, which expressly authorized photographs for news purposes at entrances, did not prohibit anything. So he's arrested for doing nothing. And then we filed the lawsuit and that's what ended up before the Ninth Circuit. In their appeal, the officers argued that even if the law under which they arrested Rosebrock did not prohibit the photographs in question, they still had reason to arrest Rosebrock because among other disingenuous claims, protest signs lying face down under a jacket constituted an unauthorized demonstration on VA property and Rosebrock was loitering Rosebrock was loitering on VA property because he was at the entrance to the VA park on a Sunday afternoon without an official purpose when VA offices were closed. I mean, talk about having it in for someone. I mean, this veteran is out there every Sunday. They know what he's doing. They were very much aware of what he was doing. And it's pretty clear they concocted a reason to arrest him unlawfully. And it's, uh, it's too bad. And frankly, as I said, a miscarriage of justice, the Ninth Circuit is going to let him, or at this point, let them get away with it. And the, it was an unpublished opinion. And what does an unpublished opinion mean? It means there's no precedential value. It makes it harder to appeal it. And uh, it makes it harder to hold account, accountable the court for the awful opinion. So we're going to have to figure out what to do here. But this is what we do. I know we do these big cases about the FBI and Obamagate, the worst corruption scandal in American history, but then you got this other corruption uh, that, um, and if you're a veteran and you've had trouble with the VA, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, you've got this kind of vindictive vengeance by bureaucrats in the VA against the Vietnam War vet who is 78 who takes personal time to bear witness and do what he's allowed to do under our First Amendment outside their facility because he knows what's going on there is a misuse of government funds and VA resources that aren't helping the veterans it's intended to help. It ought, it ought to stop. I mean, the fact that we're having to litigate this to me is the scandal. It's bad enough to get an adverse decision, but the fact that we're facing the Justice Department and the VA as they bring all these resources to bear against this veteran is just incredible to me. So this is the sort of work that Judicial Watch is able to do with your support, and I encourage you to continue to support it. And before I go, you can uh, also show your support for Judicial Watch by buying our new book. My new Judicial Watch book is now on sale. Can you see it? I'll bring it up close. A Republic Under Assault. It certainly is, isn't it? And it's a great book. It uh, I tell you what, it's the most important book you read this year, and it's urgent you read it now. And you should buy it for yourself. You should buy it for your friends. You should buy it for your family. It's a great gift. Uh, if there's a young person in your life who needs educating about what really goes on in Washington, it's really great for them to read it. Uh, it's, uh, it's very readable. Uh, it's, uh, this is our third Judicial Watch book. The other two are bestsellers. And let's make this one a bestseller.
Let's get it on the New York Times list, which is the most important bestseller list. I know, I know it's the New York Times, but it's still, uh, uh, it really is uh, important to uh, get more people educated and, and uh, open to this to get it on the bestseller list. Success breeds success. So we get it on the New York Times bestsellers list. We get it on USA Today's bestseller list, the Wall Street Journal's bestseller list, all the bestseller lists, the Amazon bestseller list. Barnes and Noble bestseller list, you get more people will see it. So I tell you, and it doesn't take as many sales as you think to get on a bestseller list. So you, you're, you're watching and you haven't bought the book and you say, well, you know what, why am I purchasing this book? It's not gonna make a difference. Yes, it will make a difference. It will make a difference. If just even a small number of you watching buy this book now, it could make the difference between it being number three and number one on the bestseller list. I'm telling you. So I encourage you to buy the book. It's great. You uh, won't be uh, disappointed. Uh, and it helps Judicial Watch. It, 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 it's an indirect way of helping Judicial Watch as well. So it's another way of signing, showing your report. I know it's already selling like gangbusters, but we got to keep on pushing hard for the truth here. So thank you for your time. And I will be here next week with the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.